the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster we present Let the Bible Speak. It's good to have you join us today as we spend time around the Word of God, preaching Christ in all His fullness to men and women in all their need. Well, folks, we bid you welcome in the Saviour's name. We hope you've had a truly blessed Christmas and we wish you God's richest blessings in the year to come. We're going to bow before the throne of grace and prayer and we're going to seek the Lord's help as we're gathered together 
here today. Let's pray. Dear Lord and most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before Thee, and Lord, we thank Thee once again for the gift of Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Lord, we thank You for our Savior who came from the splendor of heaven, even to be born in a manger, and Lord, to uh, live a life in obedience to Thy divine law, and to go willingly to Calvary's cross to bleed and die for sinners such as us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the plan of salvation. And Lord, we pray that even this day, Lord, as we sing these hymns of praise, and Lord, as we come around thy word, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, we pray that you would bless us one and all, and that we would know the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit here, even in our midst. So Lord, we commit ourselves unto thee in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we're turning for our scripture reading to the first epistle of Timothy, 1 Timothy and the first chapter. And we're going to begin our reading at verse 8 and ending at the end of verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 8, and the word of God says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, we're going to turn to hymn number 79. Hymn number 79. O come all ye faithful, joyfully triumphant.
want to thank the Reverend Morrow for leading the first part of this meeting. And if you look at the 15th verse of this portion of Scripture that we've just been reading, and it tells us there, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And it is that thought of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners that we want to consider for a little time. The, the statement that is found in the beginning of this uh, verse, there's two of them that appear in this epistle of First Peter. There's one here that commences a statement. This is a faithful saying, and then Paul goes on to tell us what it is that he's going to say. And then just a few chapters over in chapter 4 and verse 9, there is one there that finishes a statement. And Paul has already stated something, and then he adds this uh, marker to it as well in 1 Timothy 4 verse 9. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So he's underscoring the point that he is making in both of these places, first of all by saying it first and then making the statement, and then making the statement and putting this uh, addition onto it, underscoring it is something that is true and it is something that is worth accepting as well. And it underscores the point that the truth of God is to be accepted. It is to be believed. It is not something that is just to be heard. It's not something that is only applied to the understanding, and that's as far as it goes. But the Word of God is to reach our heart and soul as well, and we are to believe the things that we hear. It's like on the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching, and it tells us that they heard the Word and their heart was pricked. The Word came first of all to their understanding, and then it reached their heart, and they were to believe. And they asked, Peter, what will we do? And Peter said, repent. So the Word of God is to be believed. And here, Paul is underscoring this great truth about the Incarnation. There's something that needs to be believed about the Incarnation. And we have in this verse, it's a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. There's a few points I want to draw to your attention. First of all, I want you to consider here something of the revelation of the Incarnation. The revelation of the Incarnation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There is a particular person that Paul has here in mind. It is Christ Jesus. Paul's life is taken up with this individual. Now, there was a time when Paul thought the very opposite of Jesus Christ than he does now. He was opposed to Christ. He said that himself in giving his testimony in Acts chapter 26 and verse 11, that he thought he ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. So there was a time when he was so much opposed to Jesus Christ, and that fueled his persecution and his rage against the New Testament church. And even that day as he was going down the road to Damascus, it was that in his heart and mind, an enmity against Jesus Christ that drove him on to do what he was doing, but everything changed as a result of his conversion. And now Christ means everything to Paul, everything. As he made that statement in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His whole life centered upon the person of Jesus Christ. And here he is writing to Timothy, speaking about the incarnation and giving him this particular title, Christ Jesus he is the one who came into the world. He was the one who was promised to come into the world. 
Paul knew the Old Testament. He was schooled in the Old Testament, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, having gone to the school of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. Paul knew the Old Testament. He could recite vast portions of it. His writings are full of quotations from the Old Testament, more than any other of the New Testament writers. It's Paul who quotes the Old Testament so much because of the schooling that he had in it. And yet, as we know, Paul missed Christ in the Old Testament. He knew the Scriptures, but he did not see Christ. He did not see a suffering Christ until the Lord opened his blinded eyes and made him to see the Savior who was promised that he would suffer. But this Savior was prophesied in the Old Testament. There are many promises that he would come and many promises that he would suffer as well. The promises do highlight the fact that he was going to come into the world to save sinners and that he would save them through a sacrifice. And that person who is here set before us as Christ Jesus left the glories of heaven above and came down into this sin-cursed earth. He was no ordinary person. He wasn't just a good man or the best of men. He was a God-man. He was the Son of God who came down into this world. It was God who was manifest in flesh. That's the mystery of godliness, that the Son of God would come into this world and take our nature into union with himself. And he would become a God-man, a unique individual, but one who was absolutely necessary and needful in order to save sinners. And coming into the world, he came with this particular purpose. He was going to save, not just to be a worker of miracles or to be the greatest teacher and preacher that there has ever been, there were those who testified that never man spake like this man when they listened to the Savior. He taught in a completely different fashion to the scribes and Pharisees. We learned that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when they acknowledged that he taught with authority, different to the scribes and the Pharisees. But Jesus Christ came to be more than the greatest teacher or preacher. He came to be more than the greatest example. He is the supreme example in all things. He's the Christian's supreme example. If we want to know how we ought to pattern our lives, we do so on Jesus Christ. Paul himself said that to that church that he was writing to, be ye followers of me as I follow Christ. And ultimately, every one of us are to follow Jesus Christ. He is the supreme pattern, but Jesus Christ came to be more than just a pattern to follow. He came to be the sacrifice for sin. He came to save sinners. That's what's highlighted here in this particular portion because you and I are sinners and we need to be saved. We need to be saved. We will perish otherwise. We will be lost forever in a Christless eternity if we are not saved. Only those who are saved will enter into heaven. Only those who are saved will enter into heaven. And if we have never come to know that experience of the new birth and what it is to be converted and born of the Spirit of God and washed in the Savior's blood, we're perishing. And Jesus Christ came to save those who were perishing. And we are all perishing without exception. doesn't matter what background we come from, what learning we might have or not. There's one thing common to us all. We are all those who are perishing and we need to be saved and this is the good news of the gospel, that there is one who has come into the world with that purpose, that chief purpose of saving sinners 
And Paul is making that great declaration here in writing to Timothy. This individual, he says, Christ Jesus, who means so much to me now, has come into the world to save sinners. Because we cannot save ourselves. There's many today who have that idea that they can save themselves. We can't. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. There is nothing we can do to take away a single sin. Nothing that we can do that will blot out a single transgression. And we have many transgressions that are recorded against our name. There's a ledger that God keeps. The books are opened, it tells us, on the day of judgment. And there is a record that is against the name of an individual. And there are many sins. Many sins. The Lord said to Israel, you're adding sin to sin. In the prophecy of Isaiah. We have many sins. And we cannot do anything to save ourselves. Not to blot out a single sin. We need a saviour. We need someone then who's going to come and save us and deliver us from perishing. And here's this individual revealed to us as to him coming into the world and the purpose of him coming into the world. He's the person of Christ Jesus, the Son of God. He's come with the purpose of saving sinners. And tonight we can be saved cleansed and washed from our sins. So the revelation of the incarnation. I want you secondly to consider the reach of the incarnation. Because at the end of this 15th verse, Paul puts those words, of whom I am chief. Of whom I am chief. Has Jesus Christ only come to save the religious, the church going, the upright, the decent, the respectable, the moral? Is that the individual that Jesus Christ has come to save? Or is he able to save to the uttermost? He'll save whoever comes unto him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul here is conscious of his own sinfulness. He was self-righteous, a self-righteous Pharisee. He thought he was blameless before the law. He tells us that in, in Philippians when he gives something of his heritage and the view that he had of himself. He thought he was blameless before the law. But he learned that he was a sinner. And if you notice there what he says back in verse 13 about himself, he calls himself a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. Here's why he's saying that he's the chief of sinners. We might all dispute that point and put ourselves in as the chief of sinners. But Paul is putting himself in here because he's conscious of what he has been in the past. He has blasphemed the name of Jesus Christ. He has been a persecutor of the church, even unto death. That word injurious there in verse 13 has the meaning of being a despiser. He despised those that he persecuted. He, he, he despised them. It's a word that suggests that somebody who's lifted up with pride and even uses insulting language towards another and doing it with pleasure. So Paul had a, had a certainly an understanding of his own sinfulness and how important that is that we come to understand our own sinfulness. It's only when we see our own sinfulness then we'll understand something of the reach of the incarnation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save the likes of you and me, and to bring us on to God. You see, the problem is not exceeding sinfulness. 
That's not the problem that has to be got over. Christ is able to save. He's able to cleanse away the scarlet sins and the crimson sins. He's able to blot them out and wash us whiter than the snow, it tells us. It's not exceeding sinfulness. That's the problem. The problem more often than not is self-righteousness. There's no consciousness of sin. There's no consciousness of needing to be saved. There's no sense, as Paul has here, of how great a sinner we are in God's eyes and that we need salvation. But Paul certainly came to that place where he learned his need of salvation, his need of Christ. And may we indeed be those two who come to that very same place. Lastly, I want you to think here about the recommendation of the incarnation. This statement that begins this verse, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Paul himself can personally testify to the truth of these words that he's writing. He's met the risen Christ. He's met him. The power of the gospel has reached Paul's life and changed his life and made him into the man that he is now. This mighty preacher, fervent evangelist, this missionary who is determined to take the gospel to places it has never been taken before, this man can speak in the terms that are set before us there. He can say, this is a faithful saying. He has come to know the truth, the reality of these things, and what a change took place that day in Paul's life. He could even be speaking of himself in those well-known words in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That could be Paul or Saul of Tarsus as he was then. This is a message that is worthy of acceptation for us all. Yes, it's faithful, it's true. Christ does indeed save, and we need to be saved. And here's a message worthy of all acceptation. It's suitable for our needs. Christ will save. He will meet us at the very point of our need. This message is open to all. To him that cometh, the Lord said, I will in no wise cast out. This message is free to all. That's the glorious truth. This is a gift. God gave his son that he might work out redemption, that he might give salvation freely to sinners who are bankrupt and cannot do anything to obtain it. O every one that thirsteth, the prophet said, Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here's a gospel without money and without price. Free to sinners, and yet of infinite richness. From one who's able to save. And not only to save, but able to keep. May we be those who take the recommendation as it is here in the Word of God, who believe on Jesus Christ personally, individually, and then those who live for Him and serve Him with this glorious truth in our soul every day, as Paul had it, that Christ saves. He takes a sinner off the broad road, sets them on the road to glory makes them a child of God, an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven.
What a recommendation. Oh, it changed Paul's life. It can change anyone's life. If the Lord can stop this man on the Damascus road and bring him to Christ, is it any wonder then that Paul would utter these words and say, it's worthy of all acceptation? Have we accepted? Have we accepted God's free gift? We most certainly need to. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the gift that Thou didst give of Thy dear Son to come into this world to be the Savior of sinners. And it is worthy of all acceptation. What a glorious message that Christ indeed saves. And we pray, Lord, that Thou would reach even some soul through the going forth of the Word of God, that they might come to accept Him, whom to know is life eternal. Bless thy word, write it upon our hearts, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for spending some time with us today around the Word of God. For further information, visit our website at ltbs.tv. We look forward to joining with you next time as we seek to let the Bible speak once again.